Connor relaxed and smiling. Oh! oh slapped him! Like I don't like you because you're dangerous. I don't give a fuck what you say, motherfucker. Yes! He shot! He yes! just got him! Maverick, we're hit, we're hit again! Damn it, Maverick! I'm on my way. Three, two, one. my wingman anytime this is the believe in mma mavericks podcast featuring your hosts mike straka and ike feldman welcome to mma mavericks i'm mike straka along with ike feldman and uh hey listen i john jones didn't have a great performance on saturday night did he didn't have a great performance had a good solid championship move the chains type of performance you really think he moved the chains with that performance? I mean, a lot of people out there are saying he lost that fight, myself included. Yeah, technically moved the chains because he kept the belt. You know, even if it was a draw, I believe he still would have kept the belt, which it should have been. But uh, we learned a lot about or more about him that he can push through and that he's not, uh, as whatever boxer said, you sleep in silk sheets, it's hard to get up. No, he's still getting up early, doing his runs, doing his workouts. But... Reyes has a lot to fix, go back to the drawing board. The kid came out firing, had a lot of will, but I want to see the rematch. I want to see what adjustments each fighter makes. I do think that John was physically superior than Reyes. I mean, he looked great. Um, as far as his, his strategy in a fight, I'm not so sure what he was thinking. You th- I, he, I've never seen people shrug off John Jones getting in that deep on a takedown like that. Reyes looked like he was holding his own in the, the grappling department. You say physically superior. I think it was maybe a, a, a notch up. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about his physique. I'm not talking about his, his uh, physical um, adventures out there in the octagon. I'm, I mean, he looked, he looked good. He had his abs. He looked gripped. You know, he looked like physically, like physically he looked stronger than Reyes, but I think, like you said, during the fight, Ray has proved to be just as strong, if not a little stronger at some point. But uh, a lot of people also will will look at that fight and say Ray has faded in the fourth and fifth round. Yeah. Uh, real quick. It's funny that you bring up the physique. I'm always checking out John or Connor, like seeing like if there's any cuts in the midsection, determining their training camp, how it went. It's funny that you bring that up because those are details, man. And especially with the whole steroid cloud hanging over John every time he steps in there, it's like, I'm happy that he's showing up cut, ripped, big with all this nonsense behind him. Uh, you know, I hope he can uh, just just keep proving that he is uh, – it was a, a screw-up in the supplements. You know, he needs to get at least two years away from that. But I'm glad you bring well, up the physique. Well, when it comes to the fight itself, I mean, there's no question that – and listen, I'm a big John Jones fan. Who's not? I, never, I, always, I always say I'll never bet against John Jones. And in, in this fight, I, I wouldn't have bet against him either, and I would have won. However, uh, he did look like he lost a step in this fight. And it reminded me of, you know, when he came back – uh, after that two-year hiatus, and uh, he had a lackluster performance. I just think, uh, you know, I bet his next fight will come back stronger, I hope. Yeah, he – I mean, everybody says the toughest John Jones is the rematch John Jones. He finished Cormier inside of three rounds. He finished Gustafson inside of three rounds. I don't know what he'll do to Reyes. That's why I think it's a nice – a nice stopgap before he goes to heavyweight let's get this rematch let him assert himself 
If he comes back stronger, the rematch, and he finishes Reyes, I think that's a beautiful send-off into the heavyweight division. Unfortunately, Jan Blakowicz and Corey Anderson aren't going to be happy about that, but I think Reyes is a little step above in terms of sellability right now and explosiveness. So I want to see the rematch more than him versus Jan or Corey. Well, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to see John Jones at heavyweight, to be honest with you. I don't think he has an advantage at heavyweight. I think one of, the, one of his biggest advantage and, and what he didn't have against Reyes is the size advantage and the reach advantage. And I think that's one of the things that he's going to lack in a heavyweight division. Um, and again, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore. He, how old is John now? 36? 32, about to be 33. Oh, he's only th- okay. So he's a little younger than I thought, but you know, I, I do believe that there are there are there are limits to the window of a mixed martial arts artist, and I I also think that John has proved his metal through the years. He's destroyed legends, but he's mostly destroyed them not not just with his creativity inside the octagon and his fight IQ, but also his his physical stature, his reach advantage, his size advantage. Uh, you know, his elbows are, you know, he throws elbows like he throws punches. And I think you lose that in a heavyweight division. I think you lose that advantage. Yeah, because Stipe, who's like above average reach-wise, he's an 80-inch reach, and that would be the the greatest reach that John Jones has ever faced. John Jones, I believe, is 84 and a half. That's the biggest reach in the UFC. You're right, man. He goes to the heavyweight division. He's losing a lot of physical advantages. But Listening back to the other podcast, you were mentioning that all those heavyweights, they're just bigger. Cormier is, uh, would beat him at heavyweight because he threw Josh Barnett. With MMA math, can we say that John Jones threw, threw around Cormier at 205? Are, are you saying that some people are just – they can hold the weight better? Like Cormier is just born for heavyweight. John Jones, he needs to make that cut to have some advantages? I do think that. I, and I do believe Cormier was born for heavyweight. I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, he couldn't even make 208 for the Olympics. Uh, and, and he had kidney failure when he was captain of the Olympic wrestling team. So, you know, I believe he was born for heavyweight. And I believe, like, people like Stipe, like, listen, Stipe is not only a, a good, good MMA fighter, but he's an excellent boxer. Yeah. He's got, I think he's got the best boxing in the heavyweight division. And I think th- that's going to pose a problem for John. I mean, even Reyes had almost almost better stand-up than John had, at least in this fight. Uh, so I, I feel like going against somebody like Stipe is very dangerous for John Jones. Yeah, my, my wife, who she's learned a lot more about fighting. She has a karate black belt background, but she's learning more about the integrations of multiple martial arts. She goes, man, Reyes is a lot more springy and has better reflexes. And I was like, yeah, I think that's the football background and that maybe he's younger and he's hungrier, but his in and out was fast. And again, I give John credit for just methodically weathering the storm and waiting till he got to deep waters. Even later on, he couldn't pull Dominic Reyes into his world and make it a full-out grappling match and really wear him out. But Dominic Reyes, you're right, man. He had a, Was it that he had a step on John, or did John lose a step? Because you, you mentioned John you thought maybe was a little slower. I thought so, yes. Uh, but again, like I said, I don't want to take anything away from Reyes. Uh, I, I do believe that John was waiting waiting for Reyes to, to attack a little more so he can counter more. And I think Reyes did a good job in, in not falling into that trap. Uh, but it also made for almost, you know, an almost even, like, even evenly, like, I, I want to say strategy, strategy fight. You know, I think they both had the same strategy, which kind of frustrated John a little bit. 
Yeah. And imagine Reyes was training in mixed martial arts his whole life. I think he could have won that fight. John is just, he's got those years of experience and championship fights. I think that is what got him the win in the end. And some uh, blind judges. Yeah, well, I don't want to really talk about the judging as much as everybody else has because, listen, I've never been a judge. You know, I, I don't want to put myself in that situation in their in their shoes. I know that it was lacking, and I, I it's it was glaringly lacking. But it's easy for me to sit there and say they sucked. Um, you know, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan can say that. I'm just going to say, Cruz is, is Rogan being that. a bully by attacking these? No, no, no. He can say that because he's he's been every single fight for the last 25 years. I mean, he knows a lot more. Uh, about the, how the judging should be than I do. So I, I don't think, I think Rogan has license to say whatever he wants in any situation when it comes to mixed martial arts. I think it was during the Trevor Giles, James Krause, or the Shevchenko Chukagin. He's screaming. He goes, I'm looking at the judge. He's not looking at the fight. And then we spoke with uh, Derek later on from Sons of Apollo. He's mentioned that maybe there's like, maybe you can give them the benefit of the doubt that there are monitors down there. It's like, but I'll, I'll be with you that, you know, we trust Rogan, what he says. You know, he's a pretty honest guy. And it's like if he saw something, he said something. And I think it's going to bring a lot more eyeballs to the, uh, to the scoring, especially in the championship fights. Well, I, I don't want to use the word bully when it comes to Rogan. I, I think there are sometimes brutal honesty is, is called for. I mean, how many times have you been in a situation, Ike, where – some asshole comes up to you and starts talking to you and you don't want to talk to them and, and they're, and they're just belligerent and they're assholes. And you, like, I just say, I just come right out and say, dude, I don't know you and I don't want to know you. Please don't talk to me. <laughs> Usually I'm on the other side of that. Usually I'm the belligerent guy. <laughs> well, and you know, and sometimes my friends be like, Mike, well, you're, you know, you could be a little nicer. I'm like, I don't want to be nicer. Like, I don't want to know the guy. Just get out, get the fuck out of my face. I mean, I, my, I gave him my body language. I, you know, I turned my back to him I, and they continue to talk to me. And I'm like, listen, dude, what part of I'm not interested don't you understand? And I think that's what, that's what Joe Rogan does. And I think I appreciate that. He's not afraid to call people out. He's not afraid to say what's on his mind. And he's not afraid to be a dick when he needs to be a dick. And I have a certain respect for that. It is true. He's gotten to the point where he can kind of just be in his own avenue, in his own mental sanctuary. And he doesn't want people to encroach on that. I mean, when I, at my previous MMA show we were trying to book Joe Rogan through the UFC PR they're like dude he's turned down Rolling Stone like he likes to be in his bubble and at first I was like are you kidding me man like we're gonna be the cool guys we're gonna get something out of Rogan it's gonna be fun I, I see him all the time I almost feel like I know him but then it's like at the end I'm like I respect that you know he's gotten to the point that he can act that way and carry himself with that type of uh, self-respect and not necessarily an ego but just a confidence that I like being in my own bubble or my own mind. So I, I get where you're going with that. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think, uh, I think the folks about to hear uh, Derek Sherinian and, and Jacob Stitch Duran are going to enjoy uh, what those guys had to say of two legends, one, one in boxing uh, and MMA and the other in music. And I, I, if you guys don't know who Derek Sherinian is, he's worth a Google uh, and check out some of his solo stuff with, with slash and, uh, great song called in the summertime uh and of course his sons of apollo music uh he, he was in the zach wild band he was in black country communion uh he was in dream theater he played with billy idol this guy and he's a session keyboardist he's somebody that you know if a band comes to burbank california and they need somebody to fill in on keyboards or or to or to, to send in a riff he's the guy they call so all right let's bring in derek sherinian of uh, sons of apollo 
This is the Believe in MMA Mavericks podcast. You were just listening to Sons of Apollo here on MMA Mavericks with Mike Straka and Ike Feldman. We're being joined now by none other than the legend himself, Derek Sherinian. Derek is the co-founder and the keyboard player for Sons of Apollo, among many other bands. Derek, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike and Ike. I appreciate the uh, invitation. Hey, so uh, before we get into uh, the Jones debacle uh, over the weekend, uh, you're going. Uh, you're 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 on a. You just closed your U.S. tour, and you're going on. You're going to Europe soon. Yeah, we leave on the 25th. Uh, Sons of Apollo, the new record, 2020, is out on Sony Records, and it's kicking ass. And uh, this last U.S. tour that we went out, we we're noticing a lot more people coming to the shows. So thank you for that, and we're just hoping to build this and keep building and building. And everyone's very excited about this band, SonsofApollo.com. Well, it's, a, it's a super group for if anybody out there doesn't know who Derek is. Derek has played with Zach Wow, with Alice Cooper, with Dream Theater, with Billy Idol. And in fact, it was with Billy Idol when you first met Dana White. Is that, isn't that right? That's correct. Um, so we were on tour and I was told from management that we were going to be playing a private party at the Viper Room for uh, the brass at UFC. And I'm a huge you know, I've been a huge UFC fan from the beginning, even since uh, it started in the early 90s. UFC 1 and 2, I used to watch on, on videotape. And and so they said that there was this party for the UFC brass, and I found out it was for, for Dana White. So I was very excited to play this show because that was going to be my opportunity to, to meet him and, and get connected with their organization. So it turned out it was Chuck Liddell's 40th birthday is what the event was for at the Viper Room. So all the MMA people were there. Dana was there. And, and you know, no one else in Billy Idol gave a shit about him, MMA. So Billy was like, whatever. He comes in and plays the gig, and he got out of there as soon as possible. But I went up to Dana, introduced myself, and he's all, fuck, man, that was amazing. And I go, thank, I go, thank you so much. I go, Dana, I'm a huge UFC fan. I go, I've never been to a live event. Is there a number I can call to get? to buy uh, premium tickets or whatever. And he goes, what's your phone number? And I gave him my number. He pulls out his cell phone and called my cell right there on the spot. He goes, did that come through? I go, there it is. He goes, that's my phone number. Anytime you want to go, you can call me personally. I go, wow, thank you so much. So my very first uh, UFC event was UFC 94, St. Pierre versus St. BJ Penn. The the rematch, right? The rem- no, yeah, the rematch, but it was the super fight because they both had belts at the time. And so BJ went up to fight, I think, at uh, 170 because he was the 55 champ. And, of course, that was the Grease Gate, remember? Yeah. <laughs> and also on that card, it was uh, subsequently, that was the co-main was Lyoto versus Silva, which Lyoto won. His next fight is when he knocked in 98 when he beat Rashad for the title. But also on that on that card, was uh, Stefan Bonner, who I really didn't care much about, was fighting this unknown guy, John Jones. And I used that fight as an opportunity to go get food. So I missed the whole <laughs> fight. I didn't realize that I was missing John Jones because no one knew who the hell he was at the time. And that but, was, one of, that was I remember, Der- Derek, that's when uh, John Jones suplexed Stefan Bonner. Like, it was, un- I've never seen a suplex in an MMA fight before yeah, that. Yeah, I saw well, the fight no, afterwards. In a UFC fight, but yeah, it was just unbelievable. 
Yeah, but I missed that fight, unfortunately. I, I love uh, telling that story. But that was amazing. That was the first time. And since then, Dana and uh, and UFC have let me come to about 10 events uh, all around the world, which I'm very grateful for. And I still have a great relationship with them. So I want to say uh, Dana, White, Dana White is a total awesome guy. Stand up. And he's he's just like you would think, you know, he's he wears his heart on his sleeve and he's the real deal. And uh, I think he's awesome. I think he's done an amazing job with the organization. And I'll, I will always remain a fan of his and of of UFC. Well, when it comes to Sons of Apollo, um, what song would you want a fighter to use as a, as a UFC walkout song? I think that off the new record, there's a song called Asphyxiation. That's the heaviest song on the record. And if I was going to go into combat, I'd want to hear that to uh, give me the extra juice. Well, I, I was uh, had the privilege, Ike, to uh, go see Sons of Apollo on Saturday night at the Bergen Performing Arts Center in Englewood, New Jersey. And man, Derek, you guys rocked the yeah, house. I think Mike was uh, in deep on a couple of drinks at that point his cinematography skills let's just say he wouldn't have won an oscar for the his film and i saw it on twitter <laughs> <laughs> the show was great and i always love playing on, on the east coast and uh you split mike i didn't get a chance to say hi to you on that gig well i had to split because i had to see the john jones fight because you know my co-host ike he, he you know he strikes the a hard thing, so I, I forgot that that fight was taking place in houston and i was all Dude, you'll never out. see a john jones fight ever <laughs> I, I was bummed out that I missed this fight. And then I realized I'm looking on bloody elbow to see the scores and I see everything but the final fight. And I said to the drummer, I said, holy shit, we, we, uh, this fight is still going on. And so we finally figured out, we, we bought the, uh, the feed and so we could watch the, um, the fifth round. And so I only saw the, the fifth round, but then I went back afterwards and watched the whole fight. And uh, I watched it a second time with my son, who is also a young aspiring martial artist and a UFC nice. fan. And, you know, my opinion on the fight, I'll cut to it. I'm the biggest John Jones fan. I've stuck by him, you know, through all the shit while everyone is screaming, you know, steroids and and all the, the other stuff. I've always said that he's the greatest I've ever seen and maybe the greatest in the sport. I think when he first came out, all the creativity and and all the different shit and the way that he could uh, take his opponent, analyze them and take whatever their strengths are and make them his strengths and do it better. Like he out wrestled Cormier, who was the division one wrestler, the Olympian, and he fucking took Cormier down 10 times to Cormier's two takedowns. And and the way he fought Santos and and the Muay Thai, he out you know kickboxed him. He, he can take wow. their skills, so I think that's one of the great things about John Jones, which, which puts him on a completely different level. That being said, this last fight, if you were to score it, I I honestly felt that um, Ray's won one through three. Uh, he clearly won one and two, and I thought he marginally won three. Jones. Uh, marginally won four and clearly won five. So if we're to score it, you know, with MMA scoring, I thought Ray's had it three rounds to two. That being said, Jones won the two championship rounds. And if the fight was to continue past five and go to a fight to death, I think John Jones would have killed him. 
<laughs> well, so, dude, so, so how do you judge the winner? But if we're to, to adhere to the rules and round scoring, Rays won that fight three rounds to two. And, and so what kind of turned me off uh, about John Jones is he should have just humbly accepted that defeat and, and shut the fuck up and went back to the drawing board. But he, he posted all these tweets and making excuses and, and all this stuff, which I don't think is smart. And I think that he should have just, he should just be Spell quiet and, and, and go back to the drawing board. Because the thing is, we expect greatness out of John Jones. We expect him to dominate. We don't expect him to squeak by. And he looked very human in that fight. And that last fight, a little too close for comfort. So I'd like to see him uh, go back to the old Jones. But then again, he's 33. The guy, I mean, you can't expect him to be like he's in his mid-20s. It's a young man's sport. And he has wow. some mileage on him. But Derek, what do I know? Uh, I'm just a keyboard player. You know? I don't dude, know I, I, I could listen to you speak MMA all day. Mike was uh, telling me about your MMA knowledge. And again, we're being joined by... Derek uh, Sherinian, founder of Sons of Apollo. Check out his uh, new album coming out and everything. Dude, I could listen to you speak about MMA entirely. You are well uh, educated. Cormier with the Olympian Santos, like how Jones jumps into their game. Dude, you are into this. Uh, so let me just follow up with a John Jones thing. Do you want the rematch? In my mind, I believe it was a draw. It should have been a draw. John Jones stays, quote-unquote, undefeated, and they run it back and give Reyes a chance or John Jones a chance to make adjustments. Or do you want to see John Jones step it up to heavyweight? I would, I would, of course, as a fan, would love to see him go up to heavyweight and, and be champ champ. But honestly, you know, if he's talking about clearing out the division, I would rather see him re rematch Reyes than fight Corey Anderson. And I think that Rays, uh, as Gustafson did, deserved a rematch. I was at the Gustafson too, the second fight at the Forum. I took my son to that. And that wasn't obviously as good as the first fight. But I think, fuck, how can you not give Rays a rematch after that? And especially with all the people saying that it was a robbery. I don't think it was a robbery. But, you know, it goes to the question, you have to beat the champ in order to be the champ. Or do you? You know, that's that's the question. You know, are those championship rounds as is are the championship rounds in round four or five more valuable than winning the first three rounds? You know, that's, that's the that's, question here. And that's 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 the, the main question that's going around right now. But also we talked a little bit earlier with Stitch Duran. I know you know Stitch, Derek. Um yeah. but, you know, we're talking about how the judges need to be more informed these days. I think the sport is, is mature enough now after 20 years in production that there should be judges that are knowledgeable about the sport. And I think Houston... A, a judge in Texas should be as well-versed as a judge in Nevada. Exactly. That's exactly yeah, my there point. There needs to be quality, more quality control across the board. And I think that there was comments, Rogan and Cruz were saying that they saw the judge was looking at the floor during the fight, not like going 30 seconds Ro without even looking at what's going on. <laughs> Rogan in the was freaking out. Rogan was freaking out about it. Well, you know what the, the commission in, in, in Texas though, said that there's monitors underneath the, the, the octagon so the judges can watch. So, I mean, they're, they're, they, in their statement, they were saying that the judge was watching the monitor 
maybe not looking up at the actual uh, live uh, feed, but at look, I'm looking at the, you know, monitor right underneath him, which I don't blame. Like, I think judges need monitors. I mean, listen, how many fights have you been to, Derek? How many fights have you been to, Ike? And I, I've been to I've many. Been to, oh, I've been to 10, like about 10, maybe a little more. Right. And, and what do you do even when you're sitting right on the cage? You look up at the monitor. I'm watching the Jumbotron. Exactly. So, you know, I don't blame the judges for looking at a monitor if, if that's what if that's what was in fact happening. Yeah, that's a legitimate excuse. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of money at stake here. There's a lot of legacy and people's careers involved. They if they're putting their their lights on the line and career on the line out there, they are entitled to have judges in there that are highly qualified, that are irreproachable in their their judgment and, and skills. And the fact that that one judge did a, uh, what was it, 49, 46? Oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. That's fucking ridiculous. How can you give, how can you give Jones four rounds to, to one? It's, and that judge was also suspect in making another bad fight that night or, or something right. in the past that was a cockamamie. So, yeah, we got to get rid of, we got to weed out the weak judges well, and, and step that up. All right, one more question for you, Derek, before we let you go, because I want to talk about Shevchenko versus Chukagian with Ike. Did you see that fight, Derek? I didn't. I just saw the highlights, but uh, clearly Chukagian was outclassed, and, and Bullet Valentina is a fucking badass man. I, I mean, she's a uh, fighter. She's, like, brutal. Like, I think that she give guys in her weight class a lot of problems. Thank you. Yeah, and, and in fact, I think – Chris Cyborg Santos should give up her cyborg nickname to Shevchenko because, <laughs> man, was she a cyborg, man. No, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's she's vicious. I love – I'm a fan. I'm a definite bullet Valentino so, fan. So my, so my last question to you, you, you talked about Annihilation being a, a walkout song. What fighter, in your opinion, should hold the Sons of Apollo banner in the uh, debut walkout? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's hard to say. It, it's it's hard to say. But I'll tell you, of, of the new guys, I really like Adesanya. But I don't think that that he's too small for Jones. And you know, he's talking a lot of shit. <clears throat> and he's saying that I could go up and fight a heavyweight and all this. But I think that that weight would make a difference. And also Adesanya, if you look at the fight against Gastelum, that wasn't a fucking blowout gasoline no, to him and made adesanya look human i think that you know you get adesanya in the clinch with john jones i think he's going to have a lot of problems you know i think you talk about gasoline i think he's one of the underrated fighters on the whole uh roster uh, i think he's always always over delivered in all of his fights and and you know he surprised a lot of fighters and i think he surprised a lot of uh analysts and and fans as well with some of the, some of his knockout wins uh and i think one part of the reason is he's not a brash talker he's not a you know he's not an asshole he's actually a really nice guy he's a nice kid and uh but i think his fighting is superb what do you think ike uh i think he is fitting beautifully at middleweight i think he screwed up by not taking advantage of darren till playing the game plan softly but i'm excited to see hopefully Gaslam versus jared cannonier i believe it's rumored for ufc 248 i like the guy he hits hard and he's mexican so i always like those guys so uh yeah excited to see what he does next but then we have to talk about conditioning. Like you look at Gaslam, he looks very doughy, and then people go, "Oh, yeah. it doesn't matter." The word. I say bullshit. You know, 
if you have if you're gonna go in there and be a fighting machine, your body or your chassis, if you will, needs to be tight and, and ready. If you're carrying that extra flab around you or whatever, that cannot translate to superior performance. And so whenever I see guys like Cormier or or Gaslam, I always get a little bit puckered. It's like, hey dude, you know what? I'm in perfect shape and I'm a keyboard player at fifty three and I don't have any fat <laughs> on my body. If you're gonna be a fighter, I don't wanna see any curd on your on your midsection. I agree with that. I agree some is genetics, but I agree it has to be a full-time job. I don't want to hear that these guys are ballooning up 30 to 50 pounds. No, I'm my walk-around weight, I'm 170. I'm welterweight year-round. I, I maintain my weight whether I'm on tour or not. And I haven't always been like this. It took me 50 years, and Michael will tell you, it took me uh, until I was 50 years old to figure this out. But I maintain my weight at 170 like a fighter. It's the same type of mentality i don't want to go on stage fat you know well you know like, derek you you have a very intense um uh approach to your music uh you know and i've heard you play classical music i've heard you play classical piano and, and i've heard you play you know shred the keyboards uh you're you're very intense and i saw something you you mentioned i think it was yesterday or today that eddie van halen was one of your biggest inspirations and uh, talk to me a little bit about how Eddie inspired your career. Well, when I was a kid, and I think it was 42 years ago, like a few days ago, that the first Van Halen record came out. And that made, so that would have made me uh, 11 or 12. And it just fucking hit me like a lightning bolt. Like a lot of people, you'll hear a little bit older to me say, oh, when the Beatles came on, Ed Sullivan or Jimi Hendrix or, or whatever, that was my moment when I heard that Van Halen record. And even though I wasn't a guitar player, I saw how much personality and, and signature style he had in his songwriting and his playing. And I knew that that, that was gonna be uh, what I was gonna do for the rest of my life. I wanted to be like the Eddie Van Halen of keyboards and take that same type of intensity. And then later on, as I, became an MMA fan I just had a great admiration for how these fighters train and not only just fighting one style you know you have to be able to strike you have to be able to grapple you have to go jiu-jitsu all of the things in order to win and so I take my keyboard playing with that same approach like whether I'm playing a Hammond organ electric piano acoustic piano and also with the, the genres I it's a mixed martial arts and it's the same thing with music and so I take that same mentality with my skill set and then also for the physical training, even though I'm not going in there fighting anyone, I train and 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 I want to look like those guys, at least body-wise, whether or not I can fight or not. I've always said it's better to look like UFC than KFC. <laughs> well, with that, Derek, I, I just want to let the audience listen a little bit. Uh, take a listen to Derek Sherinian on keyboards playing Eddie Van Halen's Eruption. Check this out. Derek, that, that's that's a keyboard, and it sounds like it, like you said, it sounds like guitar, doesn't it? It 
it does. It, it's very, I run through amps. Like a lot of keyboard players are playing through their computers or their iPads with these fake cheesy digital sounds. And I really approach my instrument like a guitar player would going through amps. There's a lot of nuance in, in every note and every phrase that I'm playing. And it's very, very guitar influenced. I've been very fortunate to play with the very best guitar players on the planet, both touring and recording. So all these experiences and people. Well, one of my favorite- Excuse me. One what, what of my favorite, Derek- Bless you. Uh, is um, uh, your, your cover of In the Summertime that's on YouTube. It's on your solo album. And you had Slash on guitar and that was, to me, that was like, you know what? People might not know who you are in the general public, but I think musicians know who Derek Sherinian is because you're one of the greatest keyboard players in, in music, in, in rock and roll, in heavy metal. And I think they all know it. So when you, when you pick up a phone and you call somebody like Slash and say, hey, can you play on my solo song? And he says, where and when do I got to be there? That says a lot, doesn't it? Uh, I, I, I guess so. I mean, I'm very blessed to have uh have played with who i have and i've made a lot of good friends and i've been i'm fortunate to play and, and work with a lot of people that were my heroes when i was growing up and i'm constantly doing that and so there's a saying in in fighting that in order to be a legend you have to beat the legend and i kind of twist that a little bit if you want to be a legend you have to play and work with the legend so i kind of take that that mindset well Ike, i gotta Ike, i gotta tell you a story uh, derek's played with uh, alice cooper and, and and a lot of people and one of the guys that he played with was a guy named al petrelli who who derek's good friends with al petrelli now is the the lead guitar player in trans siberian orchestra and oh, and, wow. and music and music director he runs yeah. the show he's not just the guitar player he's, well, and he's, he's the, the owner guy. basically he also owns the band not the owner but he runs he's the musical director which means yeah. he is in charge of everything so, that's going on up there so i mean these are just some of the guys that derek knows and displayed with but let me tell you uh when i was in st louis visiting my children uh, a year ago trans siberian orchestra was playing and I, I thought you know what my daughters would really enjoy this show so i called derek and of course derek calls al and al says yeah mike you could have comp but you got to come over early and you got to hold muay thai pads for me <laughs> so yeah, it's not Al's funny. he's older he's he's uh four years older than I am. And he's like, he's training. He goes to like camp. Like when he was uh, in Sacramento, he went to alpha male and went in and wow. trained with them. And uh, yeah, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he's, he's hardcore into it too. Well, he is. And I brought, you know, I, I don't know if you remember Luigi Fioravante, the Italian tank, he was a UFC fighter and he, he made yeah, his yeah, rounds. Really. He's, a, he's a journeyman. Yeah. And I brought the Italian tank with me to, to meet with Al and we, we all held some pads and it was just a great, and here's a musician who's playing to a, a packed house and he's playing Christmas music on, you know, on his guitar and, you know, all over the country, make, you know, all over the world. And here he is kicking and punching the pads like, and, and he oh, held his own. You actually he, held, you actually held pads for him? How did yeah, he do? He, he held his own, man. He held his own. He's, he's really good. You know, he just wanted oh, to get man. his heart, just wanted to get his heart rate up. But, you know, I was impressed and, and Luigi was impressed as well. The, oh, was he wearing great. the stretchy jeans? No. How is he throwing high high kicks in, in the back in jeans? We was he wearing? I don't jeans? think he's a kicker. He's more of a striker, we, yeah, right? Yeah, we weren't <laughs> we weren't throwing high kicks. I it's Muay Thai, by the way. <laughs> That's awesome. And, 
Anyhow, Derek Sheridan, uh, Sons of Apollo. The, the album is 2020. The uh, European tour kicks off in a couple weeks, right? Yes, on the 25th, we leave for Europe. All right. Thank you so much, Derek. And, and like I Thank said, you guys. pleasure talking to you. you you're obviously, not only are you, are you part of a super group in rock and roll, but you're, you're a super fan. You're super knowledgeable about mixed martial arts, right, Ike? Uh, I, I, was sold, I, I was sold when he was playing at Dana White's 40th. I mean, I heard uh, Kendrick Lamar was tw playing at the 50th. I, I, that's definitely a, a test of the times that uh, Dana's booking for his kids nowadays. But Dude, playing his 40th, that, that was sold. No, that and was for Chuck Liddell's that was for Chuck Liddell's 40th. Oh, yeah. Even be, even better. Yeah. Chuck Liddell actually stepped in there. Even better is right. All right. All right, <laughs> Derek. Also, thank you so much. I was at, at John Big John McCarthy's uh Carthy's 50th birthday because Mike Straka took me as his guest. Remember? I, I was. I was the I was the roast master. Everybody everybody was roasting John McCarthy. And this aired on the Fight Network, uh I, and it was the roast of Big John McCarthy, and we had a great time. Boss Rutten, yeah. uh, Kenny Florian, uh, the, the Tap Out guys. I mean, we had a, a, a people, everybody who was anybody was there, and we had a great time. Randy Couture, of course. Uh, mean Gene LaBelle was there. Uh, we had such a great time. Yeah, All right, that Derek. was great. That was awesome. All right, guys, thanks a lot for your time. I'll talk to you soon. All right, later, brother. Take it easy, brother. Goodbye. This is the Believe in MMA Mavericks podcast. Dude, Derek's the man. He, he's obviously a talented musician, all that. But, dude, I'm most impressed with his MMA knowledge, man. He, you told me he knows his stuff. I, I wasn't expecting a whole rundown of John Jones's career and a breakdown of the score. That was that was pretty impressive. Uh, Mike, you, you got some cool friends. Well, you know, he, you know, he, tr he trains with Steve. I introduced him to Steven Quadros, the fight professor. He was Boss Rutten, Boss Rutten's uh, color commentator in, in Pride. Uh, and they live near each other. So Quadros goes with his pads and he trains Derek. And that's really when Derek, he, you know, he mentioned getting in shape at age 50. Quadros is one of the guys that got him in shape. Dude, it was an amazing interview. I'm very excited that you know these people's in your circle and you're letting me into your, your circle of trust uh, to quote, meet the parents. But dude, great interviews and I'm excited for the next one. Who we got? Yeah, we, we've got uh, the legendary cut man himself, Jacob Stitch Duran. A movie uh, star. He is a movie star, and he's a and he's a best-selling author on top of it. And of course, he's the most famous cut man in the world. This is the Believe in MMA Mavericks podcast. Hey, welcome to MMA Mavericks. I'm Mike Strzok, along with Ike Feldman. We're joined by legendary cut man Stitch Duran. Jacob, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, man. I'm walking the aisles of the airport on my way to Fort Lauderdale for bare knuckle fights, man. So life is good, Mike. Where are the bare knuckle fights this week? Uh, Fort Lauderdale. Go to that Fort Lauderdale suite. Uh, now, if it's bare knuckle fights, do they wrap their hands? Uh, no, they don't. Well, you know, they, they do from the metal carpals down, like one inch away from the knuckles. Uh, but I don't wrap their hands because I tell them that's not a technique I'm familiar with. And I don't want beer smells or anybody's broken hands. <laughs> so, yeah, so they do the right. I just, I just work the cuts, man, but there's plenty of cuts. Is it the worst cuts you've seen, man, with bare knuckle? Joe Rogan, he used to be a proponent for fighters shouldn't wrap their hands because then fighters wouldn't have these casts on their fists and people would see less knockouts. But your job, man, is probably the most important when it comes to bare knuckle boxing. Uh, it, have you noticed that it, it there's a lot more gashes and cuts on the face? Oh, 100% guaranteed. <laughs> it's probably... It's probably a literally a 60-70% cut ratio, you know, for fighters. Wow. And and, uh, and it's nice because I'm working with a 
uh, CBD company that created a cream for cuts for the healing process. So we've been going for the last three events, and, and uh, you know, they get sewn up. We take a picture of them, give them uh, the CBD medication, and every week they send us a picture, and the results have been tremendous. So we're going to be doing that again. And But, yeah, cuts, cuts are inevitable. Hey, Stitch, um, you're working with Tyson Fury uh, coming up soon. Uh, how excited are you to work uh, on a boxing game again? Hey, man, you know what? I mean, I've been blessed to be working in a lot of high-profile fights, but Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder is like the biggest, especially uh, what happened on the last fight, you know, with a big cut. So, uh, I'm the promoter, and Tyson Fury both agreed that, you know, they wanted me on board. And, yeah, been in camp with him. He's a great guy, you know. So, uh, I'm, I'm really stoked just to be working with him. So, so Stitch, uh, you know, what do you think? Uh, did you watch a John Jones fight this past weekend? No, I didn't. No, but uh, I did an interview last night, and that was the major question that was brought up on on the referee and or the judge, I should say, not paying attention. And you know, the simple process is get rid of them, never use them again. Now, is that something that you think uh, mixed martial arts has the biggest problem with when it comes to uh, fights that go to the judges? Is is that the biggest? sort of obstacle before MMA becomes, you know, even bigger than it is today? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a very good question, and, and, and I agree. I think, you know, I mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again, that I think they ought to start recruiting more guys that have been in the system, fighters and, and all that, to be judges, you know, and uh, they understand the grappling. You know, I still don't understand the grappling. And I, <laughs> I've been doing this for a lot of years, so you got to know what, uh, what's an advantage and what the disadvantage is. These guys know better than, you know, layman uh, judges. Again, we're being joined by Jacob Duran. Stitz, as you guys know. Forget about the real fights, man. I want to know about your acting career. I literally just saw Creed for the first time. I go, oh, this Stitch, man, with uh, <laughs> yeah. Michael B. Jordan. Dude, I, and then I look up your Wikipedia, Rocky, Creed, here comes the boom. How's it being on the sets with these actors, and how are you treated? And uh, has uh, the fame gotten to your head yet? No, it's never gotten to my head, man. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to both my mind every day that, you know, I'm in a position to, you know, do the things I've been doing. And, you know, when I did the first Creed, because I did my bowl with Rocky when he fought his last fight. So Rocky and I are working six weeks at a time next to each other. And I, I told him, I said, man, I, well, I'm in Philadelphia for six weeks, right, Bill? I said, man, I can't sleep at night. He said, what's wrong? I said, you know, I'm in my room saying, man, what am I doing here? And very simply, he said, hey, man, you earned it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Hey, hey, Stitch, you know, when you we did the first Rocky film, uh, you know, you and Stallone hit it off pretty well, and, and now he's got you in, in both the Creed films. Uh, are you still close with Sylvester? Well, you know, only on the set. You know, I mean, I, I kind of know my limits of where to go and all that, but when we're doing the film, yeah, we spend a lot of time together uh, talking boxing, and I mean, he understands the game, you know, and uh, just, just kind of picking his brain. But when I did the Balboa, Rocky, he wrote, directed, and acted in it. And I got to see all three phases of him. And, uh, man, I'm super impressed with this guy. You know, when I was doing my Fighting Word show, I had you on when you wrote your book, uh, From the Fields to the Garden, which was about your, your life uh, as, a, as a cotton picker, as a lettuce picker, and all the way up to Madison Square Garden where he became a famous cut man. Uh, and you did a, recently did a sequel to that book. How did that do? And uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, you know, people kept asking about the second book and the second book. And, you know, I wasn't too much into it. And then, you know, a lot of great things happened. Uh, you know, one, the GFC let me go and all that. So I, I made the second book on that. But uh, let me add now. So uh, there's a group out of L.A. And Uriah Fence 
producers are starting to film a documentary on my life based on the book from the wow. of the garden. And um, just by the grace of God, uh, when I signed an agreement like three months ago, a week after, I find out that Triple G is fighting of all places that is this square garden. So they adjusted the budget because we're not filming. We stopped filming this month. Uh, but they went to New York and they got me of all places at the garden. So that's the finale of the film. But uh, we got some gold pieces there. And uh, we've got Anderson Silva who's been interviewed this, this week. And uh, I think we got Mike Tyson, Triple G, Andre Ward committed already. And uh, we're looking at Cain Velasquez with these brothers, you know, get them involved. And then at the end of May, well, at the beginning of June, I'll go back to my hometown as a farm worker when all the crops are ready to pick and all the farm workers in town. And it's going to, uh, we're going to do the, the start of the film, but we'll get that at the end. So it's uh, like a six month project. So I'm looking forward to it. Amazing, man. Seriously, that's, uh, yeah, it is the new chapter of your life in 2015. It could have been a dark moment, but. I mean, you obviously dropped the the G word, the God word. What what was it in that moment in 2015 when the UFC let you go, man? That's obviously part of your identity. Now you're in film as well. But can you take us through that transition, man? Uh, you got everything going for you now, but are you a big believer in everything happens for a reason? How'd you keep your spirit up? Yeah, no, I, yeah, you're right, man. I, I always believe that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, that's why you see me calm, cool, and collected because stuff just happens, right? And, uh, but now when they let me go, I kind of expected, I prepared for it. And, you know, when John Nash from Bloody Elbow called me to do an interview on how the Reebok deal said to the company, and I figured, you know, I went back to the days as a farm worker, but my parents uh, were in the Cesar Chavez movement, you know, for unfair practices. So I figured, well, I got to speak up. And I spoke up and, you know, it was very politically correct, but this is like throwing gas. Uh, on the fire that was turning off and it just exploded <laughs> wow. nothing ever happened to me yep and it shows you it, it is from uh the generation before you man your parents have that the blue collar have that grit inside them that heart that will the mexican heart and will but uh yeah. stitch i want to ask you about your uh cut man products that you're supporting can you tell us more about those yeah of course you know i, I created my own line of tape it's it's uh it's premium uh i also created a, a kale swell that's the end swell the metal that we use because all the ones out there are flat. And um, as a matter of fact, I was flying back from London during the UFC with um, Kenny Florian, and I kind of put the water bottle on my cheek, and it's curved. And I said, well, that makes so much sense, because all the swelling goes on the eye, or the eyebrows or, or the cheeks. So I created one that's flat on one side and curved on the other. And then I also have a wrist wrap where they put the swabs in so that you don't put the swabs in your mouth and your ear. To me, that's a little dirty, you know, but... All this stuff is available with uh, at Cutman for higher supplies. I I woke up with a dream one day because I was so busy I couldn't send stuff out on time. So I called him up and I said, "Hey Juan, would you be interested in carrying my products?" And of course, you know he was delighted. And but he carries all Cutman and Quarterman supplies. So I'm helping him out and you know, uh, yeah. But those are the things that I'm working with now. And like I said, the CBD cream and. Uh, just started up uh, again with one more round. Mike Stalker, you remember uh, one more round with Mark Zucker? Yeah, I sure yeah. do, yep. So, you know, when the UFC put all these bounties on these guys to pay if they wanted to play, well, they couldn't, but I always believed in one more round. People thought it was my company. And so anyway, uh, I'm working these YouTubers, KSI up at the Staples Center, and Mark Zucker sees me <laughs> working the fights and just rekindled his whole energy. So, so we got uh, one more round that, uh, that we're starting. I'm going to be wearing that my jacket uh, in the Tyson Fury 
uh, down to Velvet Pipe. You know, I talked to Tyson Fury and I asked him, I said, is it okay to, uh, you know, put my logo with my sponsors? Go, I'll stretch anything for you. So one more round's going to be back in this debut next week. Amazing. Well, that's great. Yeah. You know, Stitch, a lot of people, let's go back a little, uh, a few minutes earlier when you were talking about that whole situation with the Reebok. You know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, Tap Out was, was sponsoring all the cut men and you were brokering their deals for them. And, you know, it, it's substantial. It's not, it wasn't like, you know, a hundred bucks a month. It was, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month that you guys had to give up when the Reebok deal came in. And it, it's, it all, it's almost akin to what you were saying about judges and, and, and retired fighters going into judging. I mean, judges make $50 a fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, not, it's not like they're making a lot of money. So it's really not a place where people see themselves after they retire from a mixed martial arts career because there's really not much money in it. So do you think that maybe athletic commissions should allocate some more money for, for people to, to judge or, and, and to referee in order to, to sort of bring, bring the sport up to where it should be when it comes to judging and refing? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good point, actually. And, and I agree. You know, in boxing now, when a referee works or a judge works, let's say a championship fight, they get paid substantial money, you know. But in the MMA industry, uh, you get what you get, you know. And, uh, yeah, and like I mentioned before, you don't do it for the money because you do it for the money you do it for the wrong reasons because there's no money in what they do, but you got to do it for the passion of the game. And I think that's what makes uh, – that's what's going to make it better is, you know, don't do it for the money. And, I mean, look at Frank Trick. You know, from being a fighter to a stuntman, now he's a referee. You know, and trust me, he's not paying his rent for that, but but he does it because he loves it. Amazing, amazing. Again, we're being joined by Jacob Stitch Duran on Twitter. Stitch Duran, you guys know him in all the fight movies and everything. Stitch, it, it, is it too obvious? Is it too easy to piece it together that you're working with Fury because of the the job that happened with Otto Wallen? That got messy, man. Uh, when Fury is facing Otto Wallen with the the cut that was just pouring over, they were trying to keep it intact, yeah. man. It, did you see that? What was your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, no, of course. You know, I, I, I know Jose Cabrera is a good friend of mine. And, and uh, you know, he told me, because I met with him three days after. And I said, look, man, oh, wow. uh, you, you, you brought up the, the, the life of a cut, man. And you also represented the Mexicans, you know, because he, for the most part, you know, saved the fight. But uh, I said, you did something good and you did something wrong. Let me show you what you did wrong, because on the next time he fights, all eyes are going to be on you. So, but he told me, he said, look, man, I'm a novice. I know I was a novice. I was just put in a position there and this big old cut came in, you know, and I played every round. Huge. But he's one of the, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> one of the guys that, yeah, he's one of the guys that, that recommended me to work with Tyson Fury. Cause he told Tyson Fury, cause they're good friends now. And he told Tyson, he said, you know what, man, in this situation, you know, I love you, but I think it's best that you bring in Stitch Durant, you know, and, uh, and he called me and says, look, this is what I told Tyson Fury. So, you know, and then Bob Arum wanted me and all that. So, yeah, it, it's a smart move. And when I first met Tyson Fury, I walk into Top Rank Gym and pulls out his hand and says, welcome to the team. And, you know, he showed me the cuts and where they were and what happened. And I told him, you know, don't worry, man. I said, you know, take care of you like you're my son, like I do all fighters. And, and uh, you know, I'll do preventive maintenance. So I'm not going to wait till something happens. I'll... I'll be keeping ice and the K will swell on you every round. And I want to make sure you walk out as pretty as you walk in. So that's my, that's my job. But yeah, of course, you know, that's, that's, it's gonna It's a major, major topic in, in, in that Tyson Curry, Deontay Walder fight. And that's for me on, on a marketing side. It's great because it gives me a whole lot of exposure. Oh yeah, man. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Yes. Yes. 
Hey, Stitch, I know you've, you've kept busy. I know you did some World Series of Fighting, which is PFL now. Uh, after the whole UFC debacle, do you do you miss the guys at the UFC? I mean, that's probably an obvious question, but I just want to hear uh, how you feel about the people that you don't work with anymore and the fighters that you don't see anymore and the fans that you don't get to touch anymore. Yeah, no, you know, of course, you know, there's always, you know, certain relationships that we have, you know, that might, you know, with these guys and especially me being in the trenches with them and, and all that. But it, it, whenever I run into somebody like Hector Lombard fighting uh, uh, Saturday at, uh, at the UFC, you know, he's one of the guys. And But I, I went to some uh, grappling event that they had at Red Rock before one of the UFC shows. And, oh, my God, it was like a family reunion. <laughs> I saw so many, so many, so many guys that, that I work with awesome. that uh, – we're like little kids, man, just hugging each other. And I love you and this and that. So, yeah, you know, I, I always miss these guys. But, you know, I'll see some guys uh, here and there. It's always nice to catch a surprise. Well, uh, the New York fans at UFC 244 caught a surprise when their main event, in my opinion, and Conor McGregor's opinion, some of the UFC fighters was cut short when Diaz going into the, I think, the fourth round. The cut over his eye and his cheek was opened up and people – I've made a whole bunch of like it looks like a, a never mind. It, they said it was a very very bad cut. In your opinion, did the cut man do a poor job, or did the New York State Athletic Commission or the doctor do a bad job stopping the fight? Is New York soft? In your opinion, uh, what was your take on the UFC 244 main event being stopped with Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal? Well, you know, I, I didn't see that fight, but but I saw a picture of the cut. And, uh, you know, I, you know, sometimes that's why it's nice to work with commissions that have doctors that, you know, have like uh, emergency uh, positions and all that and, and the emergency wards and all that. These guys don't get out on cut. But things you got to look at is, is where the cut is, what kind of cut is it, is it going to create any nerve damage? That's the main thing, you know, they're going to get blood in the eyes. But I don't think getting blood in the eyes was a problem. So I, I wouldn't let it go. Gotcha, gotcha. I wish we got to see it go, man. That's the, boxing. They call a cut slot earlier in the fights. MMA, they let it go, but I, I guess New York was new to it. Stitch, my last question: Your time in the cage, all the fighter, great fighters you've seen. Who's the the fighter that you will get up for? Even if you're you're working his fight, even if you, you're a little distracted and you're working, you can't necessarily be a fan. Who's a fighter that you enjoy watching in your days of uh, working in the fight business? Man, that's a uh, that's a loaded question because you know I've worked with so many of these guys. That's like saying, you know, who do I like better, you or I? You know, so uh, <laughs> there's so so many, <laughs> so many, so many guys that I've had strong relationships with, and you know, I I just can't pick one. But you know, Josh Barnett, working with him in Pride, uh, I went with him, you know, after uh, the UFC let him go, and you know, he asked for my price and gave me my price, and every time we went to Pride, he always took care of me like first class. I remember. New Year's Eve one time, my birthday's on the 29th of December. Of course, I'm in coach and he's in first class and he comes back and he brings me some grapes, you know. <laughs> so, Josh Barnett, you know, I have a real special place in my heart with him. All right, Stitch, we know you have a plane to catch to go down to the, the bare knuckle fights and uh, we appreciate your time so much and, you know, as Ike said earlier, you're a legend in this sport, you're a legend in, in boxing, you're a legend in film. You know, and I and you're a legend in 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 literature. I mean, in in books. So you just keep doing what you do, Stitch, and uh, keep keep setting that love over my way because I feel it every time I talk to you. I feel it every time I I Facebook with you. I feel it every time I hug you, man. Like I I, I miss you a lot, brother. 
Yeah, well, thank you, man. And and I, you know, let me tell you that uh, I was I sent uh, uh, Mike a message that of all the interviews I've done, and I've done a shitload of them, the best one I ever did was with Mike Straka <laughs> at the MGM. You know, so I got a, got a big place in my heart for you. How much is he paying you, Stitch? No, no, no. Is he, no, is he hey. giving you money on the side? What is this? <laughs> no, no. It's, it's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, bro. It's just, it was a fun interview, and just the way Mike presented the questions to me and, and the type of questions that he asked uh, were, were something that were relevant to me, and, and it was as smooth as could be, man. So still one of my tops. Well, you know, I appreciate that, Sitch. And I'll, I'll tell you why it was one of your tops, because I actually read the book before I interviewed you. You know, most yeah. people, most <laughs> people don't have, you know, they're like, who am I interviewing, Stitch? Oh, he got a book. And then, you know, they, they, I actually read the book. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. well, that's, that, that was deep, man. So I appreciate you guys, man. All right. Thanks so much, Stitch. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. Let's do it again anytime, man. All right. Stitch Duran, everybody. This is the Believe in MMA Mavericks podcast. Dude, I, I don't know. Sometimes I hear some cracking on the inside. Are you in a public place doing all these interviews? What's going on? Did you not pay your Wi-Fi bill? What, what's up with you, Mike Strzok? I, I, we're trying to do professional interviews here, and I hear, like, uh, kids and music in the background. <laughs> I, I, I kind of think that the cracking came from Stitch's phone. Uh, he's at he's at the uh, LAX, I mean the uh, Las Vegas airport, McCarran down there. But no, my Wi-Fi is is up to date. I'm actually at, I'm I'm traveling right now, so uh, I'm on the road. But you know, we got to do what we got to do in this business, don't we? Wherever in the world is Mike Straka, we got to have like a digital map to follow you around, man. You are one busy son of a bitch. I'm I'm actually in Atlantic City, New Jersey, because I'm a, a part of this Atlantic City Theater Corporation, where we you know you guys met Jeremy Rotolo last last podcast and. Uh, I'm doing a, a play with him now, so I'm rehearsing, and uh, I'll let you know what it is. I got you'll get an invite. Amazing, and I'll be there, man. Speaking of the theater district, do do we got time to talk about the Oscars real quick? Oh hell yeah! All right, dude. Joaquin Phoenix won Parasite. Everybody found out about 1917 and Brad Pitt. We all know about, but dude, what was your take on Parasite getting all this attention and the win? Did you get to see the film after? I didn't. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I do. I don't know. You know. Listen, I. I haven't seen it, so I can't talk about it. There was a, I, I do like Korean Korean directors, and there's a great film called Old Boy, which was one of the greatest Korean movies that I've ever seen. There's another Korean film I love called The Man from Nowhere, which is another great movie. Ike, if you haven't seen The Man from Nowhere, look it up. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Korean f- cinema, uh, but I haven't seen Parasite yet. Really good film, really interesting story. I have to see 1917 to compare because if it's not better, I think the Joker was better than Parasite. I mean, I I don't know if uh, there's a subculture in the Oscar system that they don't want to promote certain movies because then it will give certain attention. I think they just, they gave a bow to the Joker by giving, they had to give something to the Joker and they gave the, the best actor award to the Joker. But Parasite was good, man. It was solid. It's a really fun story. It's almost like a Coen Brothers shot in Korea type of movie. Quentin Tarantino was very dark, very humorous, very twisty, but I think you'll love it, man. But I'm glad the Joker and Joaquin won. He he spoke well. A lot of people are going to be offended by his awkwardness and what he had to say. He was the only guy that really said something meaningful, and I appreciated him talking about the environment we need to become one with the environment again i hope he's not a hypocrite you know i hope he's not just driving his diesel truck through the woods and chopping down trees and burning them on fire like i hope he actually practices what he preaches well you know he has he did get a lot of criticism for in his own words being a scoundrel and being somebody who you know in in the middle of the me too movement you know a lot of people were saying that he was 
he was a womanizer and he was harassing women. Oh, wow. And I think he addressed that and he said, you know, a lot of times I, I've been a scoundrel and I haven't been proud of my behavior. Uh, and I think he was referring to that. But then, you know, it was touching when, when he mentioned his brother River and he said, my brother wrote a lyric and uh, I think it was something to the effect of uh, run to the rescue as fast as you can and peace will come. Uh, and I just think it's such a great line because when you are in distress, when you are, when you have when you have like mental problems or if you're down on your luck, there are, there are people that want to help you. And instead of pushing them away, I think the message was run to the help and peace will come. And I really appreciated that. Uh, I think Joaquin has gone through the gamut of emotions. You know, he was Lee Phoenix when his brother died of a drug overdose. It was Lee Phoenix who called 911 when River Phoenix died at the, at the Viper room. And uh, it was a, I mean, I heard that 911 tape because was, I was working at CBS News back in 1993 when that happened. And uh, I heard that 911 tape and it was, it was awful. It was one of the most heart-wrenching things I've ever heard. Wow. And it was, it was River Phoenix calling and saying, my brother is collapsed on a sidewalk and he's, he's, he's got, he's having convulsions. It was just awful. He was crying, he was screaming and it was harrowing to hear uh, so then the kid, you know, comes back and does gladiator. Uh, he, well, he did to die for first, uh, with Nicole Kidman when he played a kind of a, a messed up high school student who had a crush on his, on his teacher, uh, and then killed her uh, husband for her. And then he did gladiator where he, I think he won an Oscar for, or he didn't win the Oscar, I think, uh, but he was nominated for an Oscar for gladiator. And now he's done the Joker. I mean, this guy is, he's got a great, great catalog of work. And I think he's deserved the Oscar for sure. And, you know, I think he was the right choice to play the character. I oh, mean, yeah. maybe maybe Jared Leto could have played it just as good, maybe a little bit of different nuance. But very few actors right now in Hollywood have the chops that Joaquin wait, Phoenix wait, has. Wait, wait, Jared Leto was given an opportunity, man. I know. What are you saying? He didn't have enough uh, opportunity or big enough stage or room, no, no, room I, in the movie? I, no, no, I'm saying maybe Jared Leto could have been as good as Joaquin Phoenix. I'm I'm saying Joaquin Phoenix was you was unique in that role, but I think maybe Jared Leto could have also been unique in that role too. I, I I'm not saying Jared Leto isn't doesn't have the chops for that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. And Jared Leto already has an Oscar. I'm saying you know? he doesn't have the chops for it. He was given that opportunity, and it just I mean you know what maybe the, the excuse me maybe being a little harsh here maybe the screenwriting or the script I heard that like 20 minutes of the Joker was cut out of the Suicide Squad, so I I'll let it pass. I think Jake. Gyllenhaal would be a great candidate for a Joker. I, I like Jake Gyllenhaal. I think his end of Night watch Crawler? film. I sit. I did see Nightcrawler where he plays a stringer, uh, a stringer in in our business. Ike is is somebody's a freelance cameraman who goes around and just gets what he can. And uh, stringers will call into the news desk and say, "Hey, I got video of this car crash, you know, or whatever it is." If and, it bleeds, it, it leads. That's correct. That's <laughs> correct. But there are people like that, especially in Los Angeles, especially where there's there's a, always a possibility that somebody who who got into a crash or somebody who's got pulled over on the side of the road is going to be a, a you know an A-list celebrity. So they're always out with their cameras and they're always making sure that they're prepared at any moment. And which it's it's kind of an intrusion and it's it's kind of a I, I like the way that he portrayed Nightcrawler because it is, you got to be a weird person to be in that business like that. And, uh, you know, to hang out at night and listen to the police scanner and just go and start videoing, you know, some very private, intimate moments of somebody's life. You know, I had a friend 
who worked on an ER show where they were they would go into an emergency room and they would literally film people in trauma, you know, in triage, like car accident victims, shooting victims, knife victims, drug overdoses. And he said he was a camera operator. He told me, Mike, it was the most demoralizing thing because these people are they're they're bleeding to death. And I'm walking up to them with a release form saying, sign this form so I can film you in your film you right now. Ugh. And he said, you know, half the time they would do it, but they had no idea what they were signing because they, they were they were already on morphine or, or whatever painkillers and they were bleeding to death and they're laying in a and they're just they're just signing something. They don't know what they're signing. And he said it was it made him feel like a piece of crap, but you know, that's really what that world is like. You got to be kind of strange to be in that world. And I think Nightcrawler was a good example of that. I also liked him in End of Watch, Gyllenhaal. Uh, End of Watch with Michael Pena. A great movie. Uh, there were two cops, uh, partners in L.A. I, have you seen End of Watch yet? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, Michael Pena is so versatile, man. Isn't he great? Oh, my God. I love Michael. When he was in Crash, when he played the locksmith in Crash. Wait, he was in oh, Crash? Oh, my. Yeah. Wow. He was the locksmith when when uh, the Indian guy thought that he, that he didn't fix the – I'm sorry, not the Indian guy. Well, he was Indian, but the, 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 the convenience store owner thought that Michael Pena's character, the locksmith, didn't fix the door. And then they got robbed. The store got robbed, and he blamed Michael Pena. And he went to the house. He didn't know that his daughter had put blanks in the gun that he bought. And he went over to shoot Michael Pena. And his daughter, his little daughter, runs out into the street and said, Daddy, I'll protect you because I have your, I have your necklace that you said was going to protect me. And she runs in front, and the guy shoots the gun. And it's, like, harrowing. But thank God there were blanks in the bullet, in, in, in the gun. And it was just – Michael Pena is such a great actor. And, that, by the way, that was a, such a good movie, Crash. Yeah, I was like, that. it's so appropriate for the times now that we're in. Like, it, it should come back. I know it, Showtime tried to, like, re reinvented it, like, four or five years later. That failed. But I, I would love to see yeah. the, uh, the movie come back. Yeah, that was directed, uh, and I think written by Paul Haggis, uh, one of the great directors. I don't know if you ever watched Ma Entourage. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but on Paul, as a New Paul, York guy. Well, Paul Haggis was the director that was rumored to be the director of Aquaman and, you know, back and forth. And it was such a great, great – I love Entourage, man. I miss that show. You know, when that show went off the air, I felt like I lost friends, man. <laughs> I'm like, where are my four friends? Where are my boys? Like, or, like, they were cool, man. My brother kills me because I watched two or three seasons of it. I was like, dude, it's just a cyclical plot. Like, oh, Vinny didn't get the role. Vinny's getting the role. And I was like, it's like it's just repeating itself every season. I mean, I love the yeah. interactions with Lloyd and Ari. Oh, my it's based God. on Ari Emanuel, right? From the WME and IMG, the UFC owners now, essentially. Well, it's his the yeah, that character, Ira, I mean, uh, yeah, it was based on uh on Ari Emanuel, but I think the show itself was based on Mark Wahlberg. As Vinny. Yeah. Right. Oh, I mean, the Ari character is based yeah. on Ari. Well, you know, I, I, Mark Wahlberg denies that, even though he, there's a lot of similarities in Mark's life. I mean, even Mark's manager was named Eric, you know what I mean? So <laughs> there, there's a lot of similarities there. I think Mark is, I think Mark's just a humble dude. I like Mark Wahlberg. I, I, I like him as an actor. Uh, I, I like uh, a lot of what he does. But, yeah, I think the Oscars – I just saw a great meme today, and it was, it was a big, big mirror that was put on the stage, and it said, 
this the largest mirror in the world was put on this Oscar stage and, and got an eight minute standing ovation because basically all the actors were looking at themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny, man. I laughed my ass off. Oh man, they do get a bad rap in Hollywood, and it doesn't help that Ricky Gervais kicked off this award season by like a seven minute just annihilating everybody you come up here you thank your god and you shut up and you sit back down i think that kind of uh set the tone and it, maybe that has to do with people attacking phoenix but i think phoenix i think he uh extinguished some of those flames because his speech was from the heart i agree 100 percent with you you know and you know he does he is a wacky dude yes uh he's a wacky guy but there's a lot of wacky people in Hollywood. Look at Dennis Hopper for crying out loud. He's still a legend, but he's a wacky dude. <laughs> that's the guy from Speed, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's all I yeah. know from Speed. All right. Well, you need to you need to watch some more movies. Well, I watched one movie you suggested, man. I watched right. Raging Bull last night. I uh, went to sleep late. I fell asleep with like a glass of wine in my hand. <laughs> dude, that well, movie... First of all, beautifully shot. My my wife goes, I'm going to bed or I'm watching a show in the room. She saw that it's black and white. I go, no, 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 no. I was like, it's art behind this. She doesn't care for that shit. I was like, it's art behind this. It's shot for a reason. But, dude, dark, gritty, grisly, uh, funny, real, sad, depressive. It was it was pretty heavy. It was a pretty yes. heavy film. Well, that, that film also won several Oscars, and, uh, including for cinematography. Great, great, great. And Jake yeah. LaMotta is like, I saw that he was a consultant for the film at the beginning. And then I go, wait, wait. So he's telling them all the stories that he's hitting his wives and girlfriends and he's roughing up his brother and he has a lot of anger issues. Like, I guess he was very blatant about that to Scorsese. Well, he was very honest about it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty revealing, man. But it, it yeah, was a great sure. film. I still got to see the Aeronauts. The Argonauts. Oh, no, you're right. Aeronauts. Yeah, Aeronauts. <laughs> see, you see what happened. <laughs> I was doing Percy. I was thinking of Percy Jackson for a minute. Um, <laughs> I think Paul Schroeder wrote um, Raging Bull along with Martin Scorsese. Uh, Schroeder is uh, another legendary screenwriter. But yeah, Raging Bull is one of the greatest boxing films ever made. That opening sequence with the juxtaposition of, of the uh, classical music and the most violent boxing matches. You know, I just think those are the things that make movies classics. Huh. I didn't like realize that. it, but it, like subconsciously, I usually click to the next film when it's Netflix or shut off the, the credits. You're right. I let the symphony and the orchestra play out. It was a nice piece to one of the most brutalized sports. Yep, uh, did you notice that he had a cheetah robe? And I was thinking everything with Scorsese, I'm sure, is poetic and has meaning behind cheetahs don't change their spots. Isn't that the saying? And he has a cheetah boxing robe. And I was thinking he repeated a couple things throughout the movie with his relationships, with his career, with his anger. And I was thinking, is that is that too deep? I was a literature minor, so I tried. Oh, to it's, that's that's definitely a metaphor in the film. There's no doubt about it. Okay, it, dude, the film was beautifully done. You, uh, what what Scorsese film should I see next? Uh, Casino? Should I see The Godfather next? I, I want to check off this list. I'll work in the Aeronauts, but what well, crime I, or drama I, film? I think Goodfellas is, I, my opinion. For the third time I've seen it, man. I've seen it. All right. Well, you asked me what, all right. I think The Departed, have you seen The Departed? Of course. That's, that's was okay. my, uh, that's when I learned about Scorsese. That's when I was introduced to his beautiful filmmaking. All right. Well, have you seen there, Shutter there, Island? You, 
Yeah, I didn't like Shutter Island. What? You and everybody else. I'm the only one that think that's like an un- underrated film. Like the fact that he did Departed and covered like a non-Italian mob was great. That was different for him. But the fact that he's doing like a whole psychological thriller with some twisty turnies but great dialogue. I thought that was stepping out of his right. comfort zone for Martin Scorsese. Well, try Cape Fear next. Cape Fear. And that's Scorsese? Yep, Scorsese, De Niro, Juliet Lewis, Cape Nick Nolte, Fear. Cape Fear. Try that one next. And until next time, Ike. Enjoy the movies and the fights. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.